0: Good morning. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I want to invite you to this special summer worship celebration. Ready, Vacation Bible School, friends? One, two, three. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church! Yay!
1: Our first scripture lesson comes from the book of Acts, chapter 27, verses 41 through 44. But striking a reef, they ran the ship aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. But the centurion wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest to follow, some on planks and others on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second lesson continues on from the shipwreck that Charlotte read to you this morning. We are in the very last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts 28, 1 through 10. Listen for the word of the Lord. After we had reached safety, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness. Since it had begun to rain and was cold, they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us around it. Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire when a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man must be a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were expecting him to swell up or drop dead. But after they had waited a long time and saw that nothing unusual had happened to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for 3 days. It so happened that the father of Publius, lay sick in bed with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and cured him by praying and putting his hands on him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They bestowed many honors on us, and when we were about to sail, they put on board all the provisions we needed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I say the name Homer, who comes to mind? Okay, Homer Simpson, yes. When I say Homer, second Homer, I'm speaking of the Greek poet and bard storyteller who was credited for writing two Greek masterpieces, the Iliad and the Odyssey. I had to read some parts of both of those in college, I believe. Around the end of the 8th or beginning of the 7th century BC, these were oral stories that were told and written down at some point. The quick synopsis of the Iliad, the first volume, was the 10-year war uh, on Troy. On Troy, Helen of Troy, uh, the Trojan horse that's the Iliad. Then the 10 years subsequent to that are Odysseus, one of the military leaders in the campaign against Troy, was on his way home. He was a king, and it took him 10 years. So the Iliad, the 10 years of the war, the Odyssey is Odysseus' 10 years it takes him to get back home. His family and wife think he's dead, So there are suitors that are working for the hand of the queen all behind him this whole time. He's trying to get home. And of course, Greek being what it is, all the gods were playing their games and messing with him some here. He had to go this way. That was a detour for a while. Then he would resolve that and move over here and do that for a while and then go here. One of the stories, one of the As a part of his journey, he was on an island where the cows were sacred to the god Helios. And he was told to tell his men that were with him not to injure, harm, or kill these cows. Good enough. Well, they wind up killing the cows. And so on their subsequent next ship that they are heading out to sea, the gods strike them down kill them all, ship is wrecked, all but Odysseus, who moves on and eventually does make it home. Second literary reference to Moby Dick, Herman Melville's classic, 1951, 1851, sorry, 1851, and the obsession of King Ahab, obsession of Captain Ahab, We talked about King Ahab in Sunday school with Elijah. This is Captain Ahab. His obsession, which is understandable from the giant whale that bit his leg off, and the rest of the story showing the lengths that he went to in order to finally get and hopefully kill the whale. All along the way, we meet these other characters, Ishmael, Queequeg. the Pequod was the boat, the ship. And then at the very end, they find him again. The whale continues to destroy boat after ship after ship, continues to take the life of all those on until finally takes Ahab's life and destroys the Pequod. Only Queequeg and Ishmael make it a float on what? Anybody remember? A what? A casket, right. A coffin. Well done. Well done. Jonah. Our Jonah. story about Jonah was that God sent him to Nineveh and he didn't want to go, not because he didn't want to listen to God, but because he didn't want the Ninevites to be forgiven. They were non-believers. They were enemies. And God was extending God's grace to them. And he said, no, they are not worthy. I don't want to take them your grace. So that's why Jonah runs, gets on the ship that he's on, and then the storm begins there. They all know the crew is saying, who, who did this? Whose fault is this? Finally, Jonah, it's my fault. Didn't do what God wanted me to do, so they toss them overboard. And that's when the whale comes up, takes them and the rest. So those three stories, the storm and or shipwrecks, were due directly to the people involved. In Homer's case, they killed in uh, the Odyssey. They killed the cows. God wiped out the ship, sunk it. In the case of Moby Dick, it was Ahab's obsession. He was willing to kill the whale and kill anybody else at, and at any price get to that whale. The whale eventually took him out, destroyed all the people, sunk all the ships. In Jonah, his fault directly for the storm that that crew found themselves in. So we enter another shipwreck story today with Paul and his crew. So Charlotte read you the first part and she just read that last part because it's it's a longer story, so let me just bring you up to speed. Paul in Jerusalem had been charged with disturbing the peace, being blasphemous, and they were about to kill him when he invoked his Roman citizenship. And then, which guaranteed him to a certain legal process, but then appealed to the emperor. Guess you could do that. So he appealed to the emperor. So they were taking him from Jerusalem to Rome to meet with the emperor. And we're in the last chapter of the book of Acts. And so next week we will finish up and see what happens in Rome with Paul But now this is the context for their journey. They're heading out, and before they get on their ship, there are four four characters that have a little pre-sale powwow. One is Julius. He's the Roman centurion who's on board and traveling. There's the owner of the boat who is concerned with the cargo to be transported from one point to another. There's the captain of the ship who's concerned with the ship and the sailing. And then there's Paul, Jewish prisoner, preacher. For some reason, he's in on this conversation, and they're getting ready to sail, and he says, I don't think we should go, boys. We're flirting with disaster in the season. Once it started into winter, there was no more sea travel because the storms were prone to kick up in a heartbeat. So their choice was to stay where they were for several months and make it through winter, or they would try to make a run for it and get to Rome before the season really kicked in. Paul says, I don't think we should do it. The other three said, I think we should do it. Because they've got goods to deliver. The Roman centurions got a timetable to keep. Captain, captain's job is to set sail. So they did. First little bit, that said the weather was perfect, outstanding, but it wasn't too long before the storm came. And they were 14 days in this storm, 14 days without the sun, without the moon, trapped. We're used to hurricanes that come maybe for an afternoon, maybe for a day or so, a little bit before, a little bit after. This wasn't three days, this wasn't seven days, this wasn't 10, it was 14 days they were slammed around not knowing exactly where they were they couldn't see the sky to navigate in the ways that they used to that they are used to not sure where they were or where land was it was desperate they are fearing for their lives and Paul comes to them on day 14 well before that God tells Paul that the ship is going to be lost, destroyed, all the cargo lost, but not one person is going to lose their life. Everybody's going to survive if they stay on the boat. Okay? So there's some of the crewmen that are getting to the safety boat, and they're lowering it down the lifeboat, and Paul says, Julius, you've got to tell them not to go. If they go, they will die. So they cut free all of the lifeboats and set them adrift. What does that do for morale? Now they're stuck. Now they have to survive on the boat. They can't jump off. The storms, the seas, the swells, it's all too difficult and overwhelming. So in the midst of all that, Paul says, I think we need to have a meal together. It's been 14 days, he says, since you've had a decent meal. Let's sit down and have a meal. And there's 276 on board. This isn't a little group of 12 to 15. 276. He sits them down. He takes bread. And in Luke's words, he blesses it. He breaks it. And he shares with them. Now, when you hear that, what does that make you think about? He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he shares. Communion, right, right. Now, it's not an overt communion recognition or ritual that we would do, but Luke, our author, makes it clear that there are overtones with the presence of God in that mealtime together. See, still going all around him, Storm still raging. Paul says, it's been 14 days, let's, let's eat something. And so they eat, they are hardened, they're physically fed, they find some hope, and so they then go about their business. Next thing you do is throw the wheat into the sea to try to raise the boat, ship. And so then they're getting close and they can see the land at this point. They're taking soundings, which are they're they're measuring with weighted lines, how deep they are, and getting closer and closer, which means they're getting closer to the land. So they're making plans to to see the shore off distance, but in the meanwhile, they hit a reef or sandbar, something right there. And they're stuck. And Paul again says, stay, don't go anywhere. Anybody leaves, you won't make it. So eventually, they all make it off board and make it to the shore on Malta. So when they get there, it was just as Paul had said, the ship was destroyed, the cargo lost, but every person made it, every crew member, every passenger on that ship made it, and right away the natives, that the Greek word really is closer to barbarian than it is natives, welcomed them unconditionally. Remember, it's still storming. They're wet. From jumping overboard and swimming ashore, it's still raining. To paraphrase, they welcome them, hey, come on out, let's build a fire, come out of the rain, offer them hospitality. In the process of that fire, Paul's helping out, putting a bundle of sticks in, when a viper jumps out onto his hand, and those who see it say, well, that… I guess he's a murderer. He made it from the sea, from the shipwreck, but clearly he has to pay something for something he's done because the snake's going to kill him. Paul just brushes it off into the fire, and they sit and they watch, waiting for him to swell up or die. That wouldn't be a bad sermon title either. Swell up or die and they watch him and nothing happens. He's not affected at all. And so they go from saying he's a murderer to saying, oh, he's a god. He can't be killed. He made it from the ship and a snake bit him, but he didn't die. And like many of those throughout the New Testament, from John the Baptist to Peter and James and others, and now Paul, they have to say, no, it's not me, it's the power of Christ. It's not me, I'm just a man like you. It is the power of God that is within us, within me. So he stays there for a couple days when a man of the island, which I guess is somebody in held in high honor, uh, probably wealthy, uh, Publius, takes him under his wings, gives him whatever they need, and says, my dad's sick and dying, Paul heals him. After he does that, word gets out, says, everybody that is diseased or sick on the island comes and Paul heals him, them. Okay. So now Paul has gone through a shipwreck that God saved him from, the viper, the snake bite, and now the healings. Those are three important pieces of this story. At the end, then they load him up with honors and stuff and supplies and whatever he needs, and then they send him on so we can continue his journey to Rome, which again, we'll get to the last few verses uh, next week. So, what do we need to know? What's important? First thing. We, we've been with Paul through several parts of each of his missionary journeys, all three. Remember last week was poor Eutychus fell asleep on the y- poor young man, had been up watching Netflix the night before, and Paul just went on and on, fell backwards out of the third store window and died. Paul brought him back. He was only mostly dead. And now we are in this little tail section. He's done his three missionary journeys, and now it's the last trip to Rome. So, all the way through these journeys, how did Paul say, stay so committed? He was beaten up all the way. He didn't go into any city where there wasn't friction, rebellion, or his life put at risk. One of the things, I believe, is that he saw Christ as his guide and trusted him as such. Those of you that have been on trips, especially international trips, know that what you want to do when you're someplace you're not familiar, or even other cities that you're not familiar, get with somebody who is familiar, who can take you to the right places, keep you safe, keep you on schedule, get to the right times and events, that's a guide. In this case, Paul looks at Christ and completely and utterly trusts him to get him not just to the places but through the places. So there's a story I'll share about a guide from our life, my life, my wife's life, our life. About ten years ago before we started our last call in Tallahassee, Florida, we wanted to take a trip in between those two calls. We had a little bit of time to play with, and even better, we had both been bumped from flights, so we had some points. And we said, well, gosh, we've got enough. We can go anywhere in the country. Where do you want to go? I said, "Well, where haven't we been? That'd be fun to go. Well, we'll go to Colorado. Beautiful out there. So we went to Telluride in that area which is about a third to the fourth, this is in August, in August, a third to a fourth less than when you go during ski season. August is the time to go. Still beautiful, not skiing, however. But one of the things that Vicky was willing to try on that trip is to fly fish with me. So I had been fly fishing pretty hot and heavy. We were in North Carolina, lots of beautiful streams up and around in the mountains. We go to Colorado, I'm gonna wanna fish. And so she said, okay, I'll see what this is about. See why you like this so much, I'll do it. So we get a guide and we go. And as we break, uh, we get there to the beautiful Dolores River, which is not huge, but a beautiful trout stream. And I said to the guide, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good, at that. I'm, I'm covered, I, I'm okay, but I need you to take Vicki and make her catch fish and have a good time. Because the best way, the best thing that will ensure that you want to come back to catch fish and fish again is to catch fish now on the trip that you're on, because that's the fun part. He said, oh yeah, no problem, no problem, go ahead. So they're out, they're doing their thing, I'm doing my thing. Doing okay, not doing great, but doing okay. Until so Vicki and the guide walk by, they're going to a different spot. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. How are you? Oh, good for you. Congratulations. Great. I, I think I had two like this. So we keep going for a while, and I'm, I'm fishing again, and uh, they come by again, and, and great big fish have been caught by my wife. And I'm doing my thing. And he comes, he says, I'm gonna spend a little time with you. I'm like, okay, whatever. You think you can pick up a few things? That's fine, I don't mind teaching all my expertise. So I'm doing my thing, you know. I've seen the river runs through it. I know where to put it. I know where the fly goes. I'm Brad Pitt, I'm doing it. And I'm not catching fish. He says, Danny, put it, put it over here behind that rock. I said, that rock, is that, that's not where the fish are. I know, I can read a string, buddy. Been doing this a long time. I know you probably don't get people who are usually as talented as I am. Uh, so I'm doing it, putting where I think it should go, and I'm not catching a thing. Says, put it over there behind that rock. I said, What? Well, I'm, I'm shooting over here. And I'm, I'm telling him why he should understand that the fish are right there. And so I do it again, nothing. And he says, Danny, put the fly here. I put the fly there, caught it instantly, big, beautiful fish. What was my problem? I didn't trust my guide. Even when you're fishing, you trust the guides because they know the local streams. They know where the fish are. I thought I knew enough. I thought I could do it myself. And all I did was make it more frustrating for myself If I had listened from the start, I would have done much better. Still, we had a great day. Paul trusts Christ as his guide. Paul didn't say, although he could have, for all he had been through in his life, I know how to do this, Jesus, I got it. You don't need to take the wheel, I I can do it, I'll go. I'll do it, we'll do it. I got people, I've got contacts, I know we've done this. I've been to how many cities now after three journeys? Let me handle it. He never says that. He never is cocky enough to say, I think I know better than you, God. And I think we do that all the time. We're afraid to fully trust God and Christ as our God because we're afraid it might lead someplace different than we might want to go. So Paul trusts. And each step of the way, it's not easy for him In that trusting, God doesn't take away all of the obstacles or the beatings or the imprisonments or the shipwrecks or the snake bites. But he's with Paul in those moments. Paul is able to keep a calm about himself when we have a sense that the rest of the crew is running around crazy, ships getting ready to sink 14 days in a storm. Are you kidding me? What is it that enables Paul to be at some sense of peace and calm. It's that relationship with Christ that he knows is with him, that he's looked back over his life and seen God come through time and time again and keep his word, keep his promises. He was able to say, it's it's not going to be easy, but we're going to be okay. I know because God shared this. Because God's done this with me before. Now, we and Paul didn't pray and say, well, then why do we have to do a shipwreck? If we're all going to survive, let's just get there and then I can do miraculous things and healings. And why do we have to go through all that? He didn't ask that. And God didn't protect him from the difficult things that awaited him. But God was with him each step of the way and brought him through each of those situations. So our call is to trust God again. See Christ as our guide who is leading us to the places we need to be. And the last piece of this that Elena talked about with the youth, the hospitality piece, these barbarians welcomed in this crew full of people who have been ragtag, desperate, unknown, Didn't ask them what they believed. Didn't ask them who they were or where they were from. Just brought them in, hey, come sit by the fire. Hospitality is at the core of our Christian journey. Jesus welcomed people to the table all the time and in a variety of disturbing ways to the established order of the day. We are called to do the same. To open ourselves to Christ's hospitality means that when we see somebody that needs to be at our table, whether that's literal or figurative, we take the step, we put ourselves out there, and we invite them in the best way that we can. Too many people are in too much crisis. That we can have an impact on. Too many people are in the darkness of their own isolation, and we're seeing daily the result. Hospitality is one thing that it's not about muffins and cookies, not just about muffins and cookies. It is about being in the presence of people who are different than we are. It's about being in the presence of people we know that are hurting, could be in places of darkness, and we can have an impact on that. Paul's adventure is an amazing one. He is about ready to finish up his ministry. And through it all, We see that he trusts Christ to be his guide through that life. He was persistent. He never gave up no matter what was ahead for him. And he too, like Christ, benefited from hospitality that we are called not just as a fluffy ideal of being nice, but as a concrete way that we can share the love of Christ. So let us step out of our comfort zones. Let us go to places that might be a little bit different and speak to those that are a little bit different. For in this is the reconciliation that Christ lays before us all. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.